Hello and welcome to season two of Chatting to a Friend. Season one was the most amazing experience for me and the life lessons and wisdom I learned from my guests, plus the fun I had was absolutely beyond my wildest dreams. The goal for season two is to add more variety and diversity to my guest list. I absolutely love adventure and sport and so those will still feature heavily, but I wanted to talk to more women who have very different life experiences to mine, careers, backgrounds and challenges that I wanted to learn more about to widen my understanding and broaden my horizons. I realise there's a lot of me, me, me in this intro, but it's because I still feel like it's the most extraordinary privilege for me to talk to and learn from these women. And so even if no one's listening, it remains the most personal of all my projects. Having said that, from the amazing feedback I've had and how much you have kept listening between seasons, I know you're going to love these conversations too. Please don't forget to rate and review the podcast either on Apple or on lovethepodcast.com forward slash chatting to a friend. I can't wait to hear how you love season two. Caroline George is today's guest and she is a fully qualified, extremely experienced mountain guide in the Swiss Alps, living in the Swiss Alps, but guiding all over the world. She used to compete in the Ice Climbing World Cup. She is an incredible role model for women in the mountains. And we talk a lot in this episode about the role and the place of women in the mountains and how we perhaps don't always feel that's where we belong and her absolute passion for getting women and men into the mountains and understanding how it can benefit your physical and mental health. And it's a rip-roaring conversation about equality and equity and making the mountains accessible for everybody, regardless of age and gender and size and race. And we only really scratch the surface, but it's such an important subject that I hope you will feel free to give us your thoughts and how you see it affecting you, really. Thanks. Hi, Caroline. How are you? I'm really good, Katie. How are you? Very well indeed. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me. Um, uh, should probably say as a caveat that we actually know each other. I don't know many of my guests, but we do know each other. We're, we live in neighboring villages. Yes, we do. Yeah. Um, and I had heard about you long before I met you, partly because our girls are in a free ride skiing club together. And I heard all about Olivia's cool mummy. But, uh, you know, I hear every now and again, I'd hear, oh, yeah, yeah, we're doing, someone would say, we're doing this really cool adventure with Caroline George. And you've done your fair share of adventures over the years, which we're going to come on to. But I want to, I did not know that you had a law degree. And so how did you go from a law (laughs) degree to being a qualified mountain guide? Um, So... I went to law school in uh, Fribourg and um, I just followed like a pretty standard curriculum because I think we we grew up in an era where you had to follow a certain curriculum and that was just how it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in order to be somebody in society, you, titles really mattered. Uh, and so being a lawyer or doctor or 
some some title that people could refer to as being wow um, mm. was kind of the way to go. So I just felt like coming out of school, my only options were law, um, economics. I didn't like math, so that was kind of out of the picture. So, so then <laughs> it was law. <laughs> and um, I <clears throat> really liked this show, Perry Mason. And I just kind of <laughs> wanted to save the world and had uh, this uh, need for, for justice. And as soon as I studied law, I realized that, you know, law is subject to interpretation. Uh, mm. Every decision is made by interpreting it in accordance to maybe a past uh, court case or another law. And so since it is subject to interpretation by human beings, it is therefore flawed and the concept of justice is really relative. Mm. Um, so that just really turned me off of law in that sense. And mm. also because I did my lawyer internship in Valais, I was mostly doing family related law, which is quite, uh, depressing divorces, mm. uh, kids. And, um, so it's, yeah, I, I wasn't really stimulated in that way. And, Simultaneously, as I was in law school, I started to do ice climbing competitions mm -hmm. um, pretty randomly. I think that's really because I was a woman. So I think it's important to note that as a woman in this field, there's so few of us. And therefore, we do have advantages in some ways. Mm -hmm. And so for me, one of the advantages that I, was, I got to do ice climbing competitions with very little experience. And that started my... Um, um, career, so to speak, in the mountains. Um, so, yes. And so while I was in law school, I was always in the mountains. I would go live in Chamonix or in Verbier for um, most of the year. And then I would go back to school for two months and study on my own and pass my exam. So I was meeting the end of the bargain from what um, my parents expected of me. And I was living my dream on the side. <laughs> and in terms of that bargain, had you, had they brought you up in a, in a sort of a mountainous environment? Had you spent your life outside? Were they adventurous? My parents were very adventurous. Um, my dad came to the Swiss Alps in the 60s uh, in Lausanne. That was a hub for British and American alpinists. My dad is American. And um, he fell in love with the place and with the climbing. And then he took my mom there um, and then showed her the mountains. And she fell in love with the mountains right away. She was a very adventurous woman. She passed away last year, unfortunately. And But when she was 21, she traveled from France to um, Afghanistan and then through Afghanistan to Israel all on her own. Wow. Which back in the day was crazy. So she, she had an incredibly adventurous parent, my dad as well. Um, and so they were really, really passionate about the mountains. And they kind of forced us to follow suits, which I didn't really appreciate because they were really strong and it was hard for me to find my place in that. Mm. So I, I was uh, against the mountains or any sports until <laughs> the end of my teenage years when wow. I needed more of an identity. Mm -hmm. And I felt like suddenly by climbing with friends, this became something that I could identify with. 
And so it still strikes me as uh, what I was trying to get at there was, so you've got these really super adventurous parents, but they were quite keen that you get, take the normal job, the sensible option, the, the should, you should, you should. And was this because they were, they wanted to ensure your future? Yeah, I think so. I think um, all parents worry about their child's future, financial future, uh, financial security. Um, And they just want to know where they're going and that they're going to be okay. So I think that was like a a big factor, you know, and uh, doing a job that is recognized gets opens a lot of doors. And so I think Mm. there was a lot of that. But also for them... Yeah, I think being having a daughter as a woman guide just didn't fit the picture they had for me and didn't fit mm-hmm. the picture of what guides should be like. And so I actually really didn't get that much support um, from them about my journey to become a guide. And did that journey come from the ice climbing because you were on the the world cup circuit for three yeah. years is that yeah. right yeah that's correct and as you say you could do that with reasonably little experience because of your uh, because there weren't very many women yeah uh, but you presumably got quite good at it I hear on the grapevine you're pretty good at it anyway yeah <laughs> and I've seen your upper body strength it's immense and uh <laughs> um but so how was that experience and is that what led you into thinking you would like a life in the mountains that was a really big turning point in my life, um, this ice climbing World Cup, because, I mean, I really wasn't uh, any good at it at all. I was dating a, a boy, as uh, as it so happens, oftentimes women start in these sports um, from their partner, from a friend, and, you know, so, mm. since it's a majority of men in that field then it was um a boy i was dating that was doing this ice climbing world cup and there's i remember very clearly we're in Courchevel. there was um no women like very like maybe five or six women competing and so they said why don't you do it and i just had no clue i just done a few ice climbs in my life and and i just kind of got propelled into it but two things that really stuck was the creation uh, of a community. And for me, that was a huge anchor in my life at a time, uh, you know, like during teenagehood or early adulthood where you're still trying to find your ground and who you are and your identity. Uh, finding a community that that I felt motivated by and that um yeah lit my fire so to speak Mm. was really huge and also I had found a bit of um uh a lifeline through ice climbing Mm. it's something that really spoke to me and that gave me direction it's something I loved instantaneously somehow the medium the how ephemeral it is and and gradually, not from the start, I became quite good at it, not necessarily with competitions, but mostly as a sport. And mm-hmm. what really is amazing is that this community that we started, or that was created back then, really there isn't that many, there aren't that many women who have uh, taken to ice climbing 
since then. I mean, there are mm-hmm. lots of women who, who like or enjoy ice climbing, but there just is there aren't that many. It's still there are just very, very few women who do ice climbing. It's just uh Why do you think that is? I mean it's cold, it's um physical and um I just don't I don't I don't really know why 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 actually. Um they're just yeah, it, it's just uh, maybe a lack of understanding of the of the medium or uh, an aura around ice climbing that makes it inaccessible. I don't I don't really mm. know. I think like maybe the fear of getting hurt or falling or just not trusting the gear. Um so yeah, it's it's really remained the circle of people who did ice climbing back then is still some of the most active uh people in ice climbing today. And and so this sense of community that you felt um sounds like perhaps for the first time mm-hmm. that took you away from your law career and more fully into the mountains. Yes. How and how was that received and how did you persevere re- regardless of not getting much support? For the timing thing, timing part of it, I was still in law school and then I worked in Verbier for a bit and then I did my law internship. So um, yeah, during that time, I was always doing that. Like I remember doing my law internship and I would go spend nights in huts. I would go ski touring after work and go spend nights in huts. And it would be like inserting a day in the mountain between my days of, um, of, uh, of work. So it was, it, it just was what I wanted to do. And it was just what I did. And it's still what I do. Mm. It's still my priority. It's it, because for me, it provides me with uh, physical health and and mental health and well being, and mm. it's where I feel my best, and it's really important for me to 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 go there. So, um, I think I found that then, and it's really stuck with me. And so that feeling that you got from being in the mountains that you still get from being in the mountains, you are hugely passionate about passing that on to other people, especially other women Mm -hmm. we'll talk about now actually we can talk about the the 100 women's peak challenge that you've been running key part of the team from this summer Mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about that Mm -hmm. i'm hugely passionate about mounds and i'm hugely passionate about sharing it with people in general all gender Mm -hmm. the same i don't have uh my priority is not men or women in the Mm -hmm. mountains and um I climb with men, I climb with women. It's it's um it's all the same to me because what matters is that people have access to the mountains and because mm. it is a place that makes me feel good and I think it's a place where people can feel good in general. And I think in Switzerland, with so much of the country covered in mountains, it's an easy access to, to nature. And so liberalizing that for people in general is uh, something that speaks to my heart. Um, Mm. And then I have a little girl who's nine years old. And that was a huge game changer for me. Up until then, I had experienced for sure inequalities and bias in the mounds. I'd been told, um, you know, when I was climbing like the north faces of the Eiger, 
Matterhorn, like all the classic North Faces in the Alps um, that I did mostly with men. I was told by some other men, why was I competing with men when I had just done it with men? So it was just kind of, that's when I realized that there was a gender bias in the mountains. And up until then, I hadn't really seen that because my mom was a schema racer. She was one of the first people to take part in the Patrouille des Glaciers and did well at it. And, and so she really inspired that in me. And uh, for me, she gave me access. She, she broke that invisible mountain that there is uh, for mm. women to access sports in general or the outdoors or leadership position in business. Um, she just made it possible just because she did it. And so it wasn't like until I had a daughter that I saw that all these inequalities were still unequal and still needed a lot, a lot of work. And I just didn't want her to face that. I wanted her to know and to see that there are disparities, but that there they should be meaningless and she should be able to do whatever she wants. And mm. so when this big challenge um, was created last year by Swiss Tourism, um, in coordination with the Swiss Found Guides Association, the Swiss Alpine Club, and Mammoth is a brand, it really spoke to my heart to, to work on this platform because it is a way for my daughter to see that, you know, with work, you can change things. Swiss Tourism created this platform because uh, they did market studies that showed that in the next five years, the outdoor sport markets is going to be feminized 80 to 90%, which is a huge, wow. huge number and is the equivalent to double the size of the population of India and China combined. Wow. So it's like a landslide. <laughs> um, so obviously they created that to tap into the market. Mm. Switzerland tourism didn't just come up with, uh, you know, they didn't just become like feminist or anything. Mm. They just, uh, there's a market for it and they created the peak challenge platform um, to test that market, to see if there is actually a market for women and alpinism. Mm. The, peak, the peak challenge is a sub project of a bigger project called hundred percent women, which is to get more women into outdoor sports mm. in general. So not necessarily the mountains, but mm -hmm. um, just all outdoor sports. And the peak challenge was a way to promote that platform by having all the um, 48, 4,000 meter peaks in Switzerland be climbed by all women teams. And we did it, which was really, really awesome. Amazing. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. So it's, it, it was really, really cool. So, yes. So this, this project was really started to see if there was a market and women really showed up. And what was really fascinating um, in the market studies that they did was that it showed that women after 45, when the kids have left and now women are more financially independent as well, they are really curious and they really want to push themselves and they really want to learn. Mm. And so that's why there's such an influx of women in these markets because they, yeah, they just want a second life yeah. or a second chance at life. And, um, and women really showed up because when, um, I first spoke with Swiss, Switzerland Tourism about this project and they told me that they wanted all the 48, 4,000 meter peaks in Switzerland to be climbed by women. 
I asked them, what is the incentive? And they said, there isn't any. Mm. And I was like, what? (laughs) 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 What planet do you live on? (laughs) Like, how are women going to motivate to climb on these mounds just for the sake of the project? But somehow there was a massive snowball effect. Mm. And very quickly, it became apparent that, like, for sure, despite terrible conditions in the mountains with lots of snow in the springtime, bad weather, and, uh, yeah, overall challenging conditions. Every time there was a nice weather window, there would be one another 4,000-meter peak that would go down. And um, and it was just like, and, and women really, really... Uh, really showed up to to seize the opportunity to be a part of this uh, platform and to show that um, they want to have uh, a place in the mountains and to be legit. So I think that what was really amazing about this project is that it showed that when you create a space for them to show up, they will show up. Yeah. Uh, and if they don't have that space, then there's, there's that fear of being judged, that fear of failure, that, unknown that that prevents them from even trying and for that i would have to explain that in his in the history of alpinism women were really not accepted they're not they're not wanted in the mountains and it was very clearly stated um and there's lots of literature about it um and so when women went into the mountains and climbing it was quite frowned upon Mm. and um like we were talking earlier how the sense of community was really important for me Mm. it is something that is really important for all human beings we are we're social uh, animals and we need the sense of belonging and um and so for male guides to take women clients way back when to the mountains it was also frowned upon Mm. frowned upon and so they would have to kind of defy their their uh their male friends to to do it and be also rejected so i would say those men guides who took women to the mountains way back when they were like some of the first feminist men yeah because they really stood up to take those women to the mountains and give them that experience too that was like pretty remarkable on their part to do that and um because they had to deal with all the backlash Mm. of it so, so that was really interesting. And then the, the Alpine clubs rejected women. So for Switzerland until 1980. In the UK, I don't know until when, but they would accept dogs as members, but not women. Huh. And in Switzerland, women were not allowed in the Swiss Alpine Club until 1980. So really late. Yeah. And then they got accepted. But I think there's a huge nuance. Uh, and I think it's a really important one to understand why it is hard for women to to find their place in the mountains is because if you've been uh, rejected from somewhere and then somebody tells you, okay, now I accept you, mm. you still feel re- you still feel rejected. Yeah, and and it is for the person who rejected you to do the work to show that you're accepted. Mm. Because if the person who was rejected has to do the work it's too hard yes because you have to break it's like yeah it's climbing that invisible mountain it's um you have to do the work to even get to the starting point and uh and and you just don't feel a sense of belonging you don't feel a sense of 
uh, acceptance for sure. Mm. And you feel like you stand to be judged. And um, so I think that's like a really, really big nuance between the Swiss Alpine Club opening up their doors in 1980 to women and the Peak Challenge. Mm. The Peak Challenge is a platform that is actively welcoming women and creating a space for them to be themselves in the mountains. There's no judgment. There's no invisible mountain to climb to access mm. the starting point. It's a direct access. And up until now, women have had an indirect access. They've had to climb this invisible mountain. Yeah. And I always come back to this invisible mountain because I think it's one. What I mean by invisible mountain is all the stereotypes that are linked um, to the place of women in society. And the reality that we're being told as children and, you know, the, the reality that, that is created for us. And so, um, so we don't see it because that's all we've always seen. So it's hard to have, unless you have some critical thinking or you step away from it, you can't see what's beyond that mountain. Mm. And so I think that's, um, that's why men don't see that, that, that women have to do this work because it's invisible yeah. and women feel it, but they don't see it either. So they don't know what, how to proceed to, to, mm. to, to climb it. And so that's why change is slow to come because it's all invisible, invisibilized by a reality that we've been told. What I was going to ask there, what was the, as you say, this invisible mountain to climb to get all female teams on top of the 48 4,000 meter peaks in Switzerland. What was the, do you know what the ratio was between experienced female mountaineers and novices? Because much of them are difficult. They're, they're pretty challenging. And so you wouldn't expect complete novices to be able to do them, you know, mm -hmm. many of them straight away without much experience. So my job as part of the peak challenge, I had a few hats, but, uh, one of them is to find, uh, so I was the technical coordinator for the Peak Challenge, and mm. one of my jobs was to find female guides to guide women who wanted to be mm. part of the challenge. This challenge was open to all women from anywhere in the world, from Switzerland, from all ages and all fitness levels. And so, the summits could be done as many times as people wanted to climb it. So like for the easier summits, like the Brighthorn got climbed many times mm. and summits that were more challenging got climbed only once or, you know, so, mm -hmm. so it was really diverse. And what was great about this peak challenge was that it was inclusive of whoever wanted to climb a 4,000 meter peak, mm. um, no matter, yeah, their fitness level or motivation. So it made it quite accessible. And one of my jobs was to, yeah, to find these um, female guides for women who wanted to climb mountains and didn't have enough experience to go on their own. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was a big project. That was a lot of work because there's so few mountain uh, women mountain guides. Mm. So um, it made it quite hard to find a guide for all the women who wanted um, to go climb these 4,000 okay. peaks. Um, and so, I don't exactly have a ratio as to how many went on their own or how many went with a guide, mm. but it was totally open to go with a guide or without a guide. Mm. Uh, so anybody could participate. All women had to do 
was take a selfie of the team, so the all-women team on the summit, um, and then tag under social media uh, Peak Challenge in the name of the summit that they climbed. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then they would receive like a finisher package. Uh, but really, it was really, really, that's why it was for all women, because it was no matter what your level was, whether you needed a guide or not, you could just go and do it. And they just offered the service of consulting with me about conditions or mm-hmm. finding them a guide or finding them a partner. And in terms of, you said it was quite diverse. What was the diversity like in terms of, of sort of racial diversity? So when I meant when I mean there is it was diverse it was like more diverse um, for all levels, <laughs> but diversity in the mountains is something else, you know. Like yeah. so, the the mountains or leadership position, positions in general in the world are mostly white male dominated, mm. and then come the white women, yeah, and then everything else is is not even represented yeah um so the mound is very striking in that way yeah. that there is pretty much no diversity in the mountains it's also because where we live is mostly white and yeah. where most of the mountain um mountain ranges in the western world are it's mostly white so mm. there's less diversity but also it's because there's no representation so there's because there's so few um people of color or uh, different genders that do it, mm. then then they just don't do it. And it was yeah. really striking to me this summer because this woman contacted me and she wanted to be the first uh, woman of African descendant to climb the Matterhorn. And mm. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're going to have to have some really strong foundation to make that claim you know like it's a pretty bold statement to be like i will be the first Mm. uh women of african descendant to do it and um she's like no no but i'm pretty sure (laughs) and we've asked all around and we have yet to find a woman of color who's climbed the matterhorn and i was like wow shame (laughs) shame on us you know um and so yeah for sure like the the um, the mounds are all male yeah. But then they're also all white. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's a there's a there's a lot of work to do. There way. is a lot of work to do. It's a yeah, yeah. I, and I follow a lot of accounts on on Instagram and so on that are working really hard to be those faces that other other people of color, not just women, can see. But it mm-hmm. is so much so much work to be done yeah. there. It's um yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I work with this uh, brand in the States called Eddie Bauer. And mm-hmm. before the BLM movement started, they had already started um, to work on inclusivity and diversity. So they were like way ahead of the game mm-hmm. on that front. And they've done some really incredible things to promote uh, diversity and inclusivity in the outdoors. So they mm. created a rental program so that you don't have to buy stuff if you don't mm-hmm. have enough money because a lot of it is financial related. Yeah. Um, and so you can just rent stuff, rent a kit to go in the mountains, Yeah. Uh, to go camping or whatever it is, to, just to be in nature. Uh, and they've done a lot of work to include uh, people of 
color people like um, lgbtq plus mm-hmm. and also all sizes yeah. and i think that's a really bold statement because they were working really on mental health yeah um, and how access to the mountains for mental health is so so important and um and so they've come up with they've come up with all these platforms that are really inclusive so that everybody can have access to feel good in the mountains. I just find that super powerful. It, it is incredibly powerful um, mm-hmm. very, and, and so important. And I, I'm not sure what two um, privileged white women chatting on a podcast can do to change that, but I think it's important that people know that it is something that, you know, we, that I feel, I also feel very strongly about it um, mm-hmm. and wish that there were more, there was more representation in this, in the outdoor space. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really important word to um, to note representation, and mm-hmm. I think that's the um, change can start there when there is representation um, in all fields and um, in leadership positions. Mm-hmm. And so, through this peak challenge, uh, co-ops or a grocery store here in Switzerland mm-hmm. um, realize that there's so few women that are in leadership positions within co-op that they offered uh, their female employees to go climb a 4,000 meter peak wow. uh, to motiv- motivate them to take leadership roles within co-op mm. to give them confidence and to show that they actually really want them to move up the ladder. So I thought that was like a really bold statement on the part of co-op to, to, to do that and to fully acknowledge that there's not enough representation. Mm. And, um, but I think the real question is why isn't there more representation? And for me, it's because people who are in leadership position will always elect people that they can identify with. And, and so that prevents change from happening. Yeah. And often when they put a female in a leadership position, then that female, there's so few of them that she has a sense of loyalty towards the people who've put her in this place. And instead of promoting change, um, oftentimes women perpetuate the status quo as well because they're afraid to to lose their job or, yeah, they just have a sense of loyalty for the person who's promoted them. Yeah. Mm. And we can see in the mountains that now there's more women going to the outdoors going to the mountains in lower position and i was just talking with a representative of the swiss alpine club who now has an important role within the swiss alpine club and i asked her what is changing and she said just because just because i'm in this position there are more women attending but she's still an exception yeah and so there's still so little representation and in leadership positions within the mountains that it is preventing women from accessing um, the mountains at a higher level. And it's such a, uh, the whole thing is just such a, a waste because I know from my own personal experience that experience in the mountains and facing, you know, adversity and doing stuff that you didn't ever think you could possibly achieve has such wide ranging, has such a wide ranging effect on the rest of your life and your ability to lead or feel empowered or all the good things. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it, it can only be a virtuous circle. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, the issue starts with education and mm. uh, how how are we educating boys to act and girls to act? Mm. And I really liked uh, a word, a sentence the other day that said, uh, "What is the difference between?" Um, arrogance and assertiveness mm-hmm. and the reply was gender <laughs> and I think that's so appropriate mm-hmm. and so that just because women who are going to stand up for themselves or speak up uh, are going to be labeled arrogant yeah. and men who will stand up and speak up will be called assertive yeah and you know so there's that gap yeah the fear of judgment and the um, yeah the, the fear of being labeled in a certain a certain way really prevents people from evolving and i was having this conversation with somebody who said but yeah why don't they just try but it's really hard when you fear something to try yeah. or you when you've been told don't raise your hand yeah um to, to really, yeah, take your spot in the world. So I think there's a lot of um, education is really anchoring these facts. Indeed. So are you have um, you put a really good post up on just with regards to uh, on further regards to that challenge? You put a really good post up the other day on Instagram about how it was a success, and not just because all the peaks were climbed, but you had sort of a few criteria for its success. One of which was no accidents. One of which, which sort of was showing that um, perhaps you can explain the other criteria you had for the success of the project. So no accident was an important factor because um, it's a big project. You're putting yourself at risk in the mountains, depending on what your level is or what the conditions are like. And so to have such a big project last over so many months and have zero accident is like mm. really, really, really impressive. And for me, I definitely held my breath until the end that you know <laughs> nothing could happen. But also because I didn't want um, the project to to be labeled as like, oh, they created this project and then there was accident and it's showing yeah. that women are not capable. Mm-hmm. And so for sure women are held at a higher standard because they're less of us. So therefore we're more in the spotlight. And so we're more expected mm. to fail. Mm. Um, and so, um, and I was talking to a friend about it and she said that, yeah, women will do things that they feel hundred percent. They'll be able to succeed in because they don't want to have to deal with, um, with failure for fear of being judged mm. um, that they failed because of their gender. So that was like a really um, important thing for me that there, there was no no accident. That's like a really uh, big su- success. Mm. And then the second criteria was that invisible woman that uh, in, this invisible mountain that we've talked mm-hmm. about quite thoroughly. Going forward, it would be important to identify why women um, are worried or scared uh, to go in the mountain. Why do they feel not entitled, or why are there so few women? going to the mm-hmm. mountain. So we talked about representation. And another thing is that we've always said that um, the values, the qualities that are required to climb mountains are these manly attributes, um, going out of your comfort zo- zone, um, 
being cold, like not being cold, uh, well, not feeling the cold, uh, not being hungry, not being thirsty, uh, just being able to endure the elements. And so mm. I think I thought about this quite a bit this summer and thought, wait a minute, these are all values that we associate with what we perceive in society as the women being a woman at her ultimate is when she's giving birth. Mm. And what values does she need to give birth? It's like endure, deal, um, be out of your comfort zone, mm -hmm. suffer, uh, be ready to give up your life to achieve the summit <laughs> that is giving birth. Mm. And so I thought whoever started labeling these values as manly or womanly, Mm. And I think a lot of the problems that we have in society is that we have these labels that put us in boxes and it mm. prevents us from uh, being who we're meant to be or uh, achieving what we would like to achieve. Mm. And, uh, and so I thought that was like a really interesting thing. And so this invisible mountain that women have to climb. And I, have, I was having a conversation with this uh, guy who was at our house the other day. I said, uh, I said, yeah, but like the, the French language really anchors women in society. Like uh, for for grammar, it's the masculine wins over the feminine. Yeah. And he was like, oh, but that's just a rule. And I was like, no, but why <laughs> is that this rule? Because it used to not be the rule. The rule used to be the law of proximity. So how many people, so the person that was closest to you would define Uh, the gender of the sentence or ah. or how many people or the or it was also the law of quantity so if there was more women than men then it would be feminine yeah but then this guy came in and he just like changed those rules that really anchor the dominance of men yeah so and, the men is the man is the default woman is the other yeah exactly yeah. woman is not just the other it is the um, Men is the dominant and the women is um, subjugated to the men. Mm. And so that's what the French language does a lot or a lot of, uh, you know, I, I was on the summit this, this winter and on the, on the cross, it said, the man knows the way. And then mm. somebody told me, oh no, but derrière means God. And I was like, wow. So the same word yeah. for man and for God, it's the same word. Mm. And I was like, that is like the essence of, of the problem, yeah. this identity, or if you see Michelangelo's painting of um, God, this white God transmitting his power to this white male, mm. that is like a huge, uh, it, it is a huge symbolic that mm. anchors a system of white male dominance and patriarchy. Mm. Have you read uh, Invisible Women? Oh yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just <laughs> I had to stop. Uh, I haven't finished it because it was too depressing. I was, oh, yeah. I, I, I had to give myself a break because <laughs> I was like, we're doomed. <laughs> no, but it's, it's thanks to such books that, you know, yeah. we have grounds to be like, you know, people like numbers and it's like, oh, but, well, look at the numbers. Yeah, look and, at the science. Uh, yeah, and so that was one of my points in, um, in, in my Instagram post was that, Um, if you think we have equality, look at numbers. I mean, yeah. just don't just say it's equal because the numbers show there's nothing equal. 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so somebody was telling me this morning that is there in Switzerland, there's even a website that shows how much you you can earn. And mm. in it, it says men, women. So it is like. So they know. So they know. <laughs> <laughs> men, women, and yeah. Swiss and foreigners. Wow. And so there is like this discrimination that wow. and this entitlement of because I'm a white, a Swiss white male, I deserve to make this much. And what's really fascinating is like with my job, there's no, it's totally equal pay mm. because women were just not part of the program. <laughs> yeah. so, so there was never that, that, that process of how, well, it's very, it's, it, that's not true. It's very different. It's uh, the, the discrepancy in salaries is mostly with employees and businesses mm. seeing women as being at risk of uh, having a kid. When it's mm. like, oh yeah, but they're also creating your workforce in the future. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. also, uh, yeah, and also women are, um, men are also at risk of having all sorts of disease. Yeah. And what do you say when, for example, so I, I get that as a mountain guide, you all go through exactly the same process. There's no mm -hmm. allowing for uh, discrepancy in weight or height or because, you know, you could get a very small, slim male mountain guide who may, you know, struggle to anchor a big, you know, 140 mm -hmm. kilo male. So, but what, so my point I'm trying to, uh, the question I'm trying to ask is, how do you get past the discrimination or how do you answer the discrimination of, well, I wouldn't go with a, a woman because she couldn't save my life or she couldn't, she's not heavy enough or strong enough or big enough. So I know, um, I know this is like a really, um, it's a criteria that people use to be like, well, women can be guides because they're smaller or lighter. But I know so many male guides that were smaller and lighter than me. Mm -hmm. Um, and they would never be told that, yeah. you know, just because it's a gender thing and it would not be acceptable to be like, dude, you're a little bit small. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you just wouldn't say that. Um, so, so I think it's like a total bullshit uh, uh, subject or like a point because mm. it's a mute point because uh, you can always adapt your technique in the mountains yeah. uh, to keep somebody safe. You can short rope or you can maybe, if you're really exposed, you just add, take a little more time, add some protection, which mm. is beneficial for all. Mm. And then um, maybe um, you do your job even better because you added a little safety because of your weight ratio and you're aware it's, it's mm. uh, you know, our job as mountain guide is risk managers mm. and in the mountains specifically, but we need to be able to identify what the risk is right here, right mm. now. And the biggest risk is usually not the mountain itself. For sure. There's like understanding uh, the dynamic of snow, understanding uh, rockfall or understanding um, the weather and how it's going to impact you and, but the biggest factor we are faced with is managing humans. Yeah. Um, and so the human factor is the number one cause for accidents. Yeah. And so being able to be like, well, I'm a little small. The weight ratio is not that good. I'm just going to add some protection. Yeah. yeah. And just being okay with that. 
and not having it seen as, oh, you're weak because you're adding protection. No, yeah, I'm yeah. keeping my client safe and I'm keeping myself safe. Yeah. So I think um, that's like something that needs to change this image of a guide being like as powerful as, as a, a perceived God. Um, yeah. Because you just need to be aware that like mathematics and gravity don't work in your favor, no matter, yeah. no matter what. Um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's a very relative, uh, concept and you have to be able to tell the client, Hey, you're way bigger than me, or just be like, Hey, you're way too heavy. For example, on the Matterhorn, if somebody's like really big, just be like, you're too big for me. I can't keep you safe and just be yeah. honest about it. And yeah. that's okay. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's really important to be able to, to be genuine and not feel pressured. And is there, I don't know the answer to this, so I'm asking, is there, are there any advantages, natural advantages that a woman in the mountains has, or is it just a case of using whatever advantages as a person or as, as your training or your experience? Um, I think women have more body fat than men, so that should mm -hmm. be <laughs> <laughs> that should work in their favor. Yeah. Um, no, I think um, I've been asked this question before, what it's like to be, what's the difference between a woman guide and a male guide? But realistically, we're all humans and mm. maybe we're educated to have more em empath uh, empathetic uh, attributes mm. to be uh, more motherly. And so maybe we have that, a little bit more than than men because we've been educated that way mm. but you know not all moms are just like very motherly either so mm. i think it's um it's very stereotypical and there's some men that are very motherly and very mm. um gentle and soft and uh, there's some women that are super harsh and like not very nice at all and mm. uh, more manly than the men so i don't think there is um, okay I think it's just all stereotypes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what is next for you? What next big challenges? What sort of you're, you're well known for your first ascents and your uh, opening up of exciting routes. So what's, what's happening next? What's on the plan? So actually on the note of uh, law, <laughs> I've actually, I just been um, asked to enter the mountain expert, um, group for mountain accidents mm. so it'll be like the first time one of the first yeah where i can actually use my degree in law Hooray. together with the mountain so that's actually a really exciting thing and um i just finished with the peak challenge and actually because it was such a success swiss switzerland tourism is gonna is in the process of creating a second edition oh, so we haven't narrowed down exactly what it's going to be like uh, what it's going to entail, but that's in the works. So we have a peak challenge 2022 coming right up. And uh, for personal challenges, well, I'm really excited that the season is changing and um, and the ice is coming. So yeah, yeah really excited <laughs> right about that. Yeah, <laughs> winter is coming. That's what they yep. say, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and what did you have a think of anything to for a challenge, Katie? Oh yes, challenge, Katie. I had thought about it, and now I forgot. No, <laughs> I have to think about it again. <laughs> Ooh, 
No, 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 no. I really wanted to actually, I, I was going to suggest we do something together. Oh, fun. Um, as in not together together, but like uh, a simultaneous challenge. Yeah. Uh, a sugar-free week. Oh, that is a good one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Okay, let's but not I, make it in, in the week before my period because that would be a disaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you, you can take the dates and I will join you on that challenge. Okay, cool. I love it. That's a great idea. I, it's totally not what I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to get me out on some sort of ice climbing mission and I'm very glad you didn't because <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> I like a challenge and I think challenges are hard to do on your own. So Yeah, perfect. I love I would, it. I would love to do a challenge with you if you're into it. Yeah, that would be great. Oh, thank you so much. And we can follow you on Instagram. Uh, what is your Caroline Ware George? Is that right? Yeah, Caroline Ware George. Brilliant. W A R E for the Ware part, all in one yeah. word. Cool. I will put it in the show notes. Thank you so much. Gosh, that's so interesting. I love it. I love it. And on behalf of myself, uh, thank you because I took part in the Peak Challenge, as you know, this year, and I absolutely loved it. What did you uh, love really about it? I loved the fact that actually, because it wasn't, because I did the Bright Horn, yeah. as you know, with the press trip. Yeah. And I, so it wasn't particularly challenging for me. I've done more difficult things, but actually that's what I liked. I liked that I was one of the more experienced people mm -hmm. on the trip. And that made me feel really good. It made me realize how much I've learned over the years and that I could actually help other people, which I've never really been able to do mm -hmm. as much of mm -hmm. because I'm always with people who are more experienced mm -hmm. than me. And so I actually felt really super empowered um, being able to just sort of tack on help, you know, when the guides were helping some people, I could say, well, I can practice figure of eight knots with you, or, you know, this is how you tie this, or this is just stuff like that. I really loved mm -hmm. it. And, and I liked, it was super windy mm -hmm. and I just really liked the kind of that kind of just get your head down and get to the top. Mm -hmm. I loved yeah, it. Yeah, that's really awesome. So and go. what's peak challenge 2022 for you? Um, I'd like to do a more uh, challenging peak. I am really not good on exposed stuff, but anything that kind of would involve me, maybe like an Alalenhorn with the easier, not the easier, but like, you know, not the sort of technical climbing route. Mm -hmm. I think there are two routes. Is that yeah. right? Something that I can do either on skins or just staying on the snow. I'm not, I'm really not great on anything that involves crampons on rock that freaks me out <laughs> <laughs> so that's what it should be <laughs> yeah no well maybe maybe like a small section and maybe not doing it with my husband might freak me out less yeah, yeah, but he sure. bless him has had me in shuddering bawling tears on the side of a mountain going I can't do it <laughs> <laughs> so now your challenge will be to replace your words with that uh, I can do it yeah Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also I want to say thank you on behalf of my daughter because you've done some cool stuff with her and also paving the way for her and yours to, you know, to have a hopefully a different experience of the mountains <laughs> than our generation has had. Yeah, absolutely. On that note, mine just walked in through the door. Yeah, and mine will be here any second. Right. So, okay, so lovely to speak lovely to you. Lovely to speak to you too. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that. I'll be back next week with some more great chat with another amazing woman. Bye-bye.